Hey, y'all, before we get started, have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Now, why should you do that? Let me tell you. It's uncut. We didn't edit it. And you get to see a lot of behind the scenes, bloopers, awkwardness. It's actually kind of funny. It's all over on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Heather Parody. And make sure you hit that subscribe button. It takes guts to break out and change who you are. That comes from today's guest, Cam F. Awesome. Yeah, his last name is Awesome. Today's conversation is all about being secure in who you are and letting go of safety nets. I've always felt immensely. I was born with several palsy. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. What's up, y'all? Welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host. Today's guest, Cam F. Awesome, said as a young man, he was, quote, overweight. And only picked up boxing to get a date to the prom. Well, he didn't get the date, but his life completely changed. Today we have on the former captain of the U.S. National Boxing Team. He's Emmy-nominated, six-time U.S. National Champion, four-time Golden Gloves National Champion, three-time Olympic Trials Champion, heavyweight boxer, etc., etc., etc. Cam F. Awesome. Cam shares with us the truth about reinventing yourself, building confidence, finding freedom within, and letting go of the safety nets. We also talk about his passion to now help our youth to become culturally competent and secure with themselves as they enter into adulthood. Amen. Make sure you connect with Cam over at camfawesome.com. That is linked in the show notes. And before we get started with this, if you have not done so yet, if you are a creative, ambitious, unconventional leader, I invite you to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Let's get into this, y'all. Are you ready? Are you ready for Cam F. Awesome? Being secure in who you are and letting go of safety nets. Cam F. Awesome. Was that the name that you were born with? That was, in a way, yes. It was the name I was reborn with. Go call mine. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, originally, I was born uh, August 16th, 1988. I was born in Long Island, New York. I lived there until I was uh, 18, right before my senior year in high school. I was overweight, didn't have any confidence, and wanted to lose weight because I thought that would get me a date to prom. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that was my motivation. So I joined the only free gym in the neighborhood, which happened to be a boxing gym. I am not a fan of boxing, but uh, I didn't get a date to prom, but I did eventually become the number one boxer in the country. And I was able to travel the world as captain of the USA national boxing team. Uh, but in 2012, after winning the United States Olympic trials, I became the first boxer in US history to be suspended and kicked off the Olympic team for not filling out paperwork. It was USADA, the United States Anti-Doping Agency. Uh, they showed up to America to drug test and do a random drug test, and I wasn't here. I was actually in Azerbaijan fighting in a boxing tournament that you have to literally get drug tested to mm-hmm. by the same organization mm-hmm. to compete in. Mm-hmm. But because I left and didn't inform them, even though I have a negative test that same week on record, rules are the rules. I was suspended for a year. Now, I can say that like that now, but it was harder for me to accept back then. Sure. And it was a dark place for me. Uh, very sad time. I was living in LA, sponsors paid for my house, my car, like I had all the sponsorship points and 
when I got suspended, I lost everything. And uh, when I called my sponsors, they're like, hey, don't bother flying back here. We just tell us where to mail your stuff. So I didn't have a place to live. So I just like gave my buddy's address in Kansas City, went back to Kansas City, like crashed on his couch and uh, gained a lot of weight and was really into my feelings. I was sad. And I, I was like defeated at the time, but I had some I had some angels enter my life. I was a uh, an overweight personal trainer doing boxing fitness because it was the only way I could make money at the time. I had this gentleman come and se- reach out to me on uh, send me an email, asked to train, and he's a 45 year old guy who wants to have his first boxing match. I don't have any clients, so I can't turn him down. So I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> dude, dude comes in with a a cast on his like almost a, a knee brace. He can't walk. He's like overweight. And he's telling me about this vegan stuff. And he's like doing this vegan thing. He's going to lose weight doing this vegan thing. I'm like, whatever, don't care. I'm like, be vegan. I don't, I don't mind. And eventually every week he came and he just kept losing weight. And he had lost like 70 something pounds. He got down to like 178, had his first boxing match at 46 years old. That's what he didn't up. win, but that was amazing. And he's a, he's an electric engineer or something. So it's not like he's not, wasn't athletic ever. And the fact he did that was amazing. Fast forward a few months later, I lost a bet to him. And I had to be vegan for 28 days. Mm-hmm. Now, this is in the midst of my depression and my sadness. And I didn't know at the time that the diet entails sobriety. So this was mm-hmm. the first time for my suspension that I had, because I'm a man of my word. So if I said, I'll, be, I'll follow the diet, I had to be sober. I said, okay, I'll be sober for 28 days. And it was the first time that I had to deal with my problems from being suspended and without the aid of alcohol or anything else. It was a bad 28 days, but I came out of that. I lost 32 pounds. It changed my outlook on life. I became a more positive person. And I realized I didn't want to quit boxing anymore. I wanted to come back, regain my number one spot. And I wanted to change who I became, change everything about myself. Because too often we get, we get complacent with who we are and people, and we, we believe in ourselves that people expect certain behaviors from us. So we continue those behaviors and perpetuate what people think about us. Yeah. So we get trapped into our own box. And I wanted to remove myself from, from that box and change everything about myself. I decided I was going to change my last name to awesome and exude awesome because you know how difficult it is to be a negative person with the last name. Awesome. (laughs) You can't even be hangry, Heather. I can be hangry. I can be hangry with that. I I really needed to hear this quote this morning and I'm really grateful that I read it. It was, uh, I'm going to jack it up, but it's uh, Emerson said something along the lines of, you know, in a world that's constantly trying to tell you who you are, being yourself is like our greatest accomplishment. And I just felt that in my bones this morning when I read that. And I know there's a lot of people listening who just want to be them, peel off the labels, all this stuff. And you've taken, you've reinvented yourself. It sounds like a lot, my friend. And like, you're, you're, you're just, it seems like there's, there's no territory. You just don't worry about going and exploring. And the inner confidence that that takes to, maybe confidence isn't the word, you tell me, but to allow yourself to evolve into what you know you're called to do, you know, being overweight at 18 and becoming a professional athlete to getting all of this, you know, disappointment and frustration and reinventing yourself and losing weight, becoming vegan. And now what you do in the school systems, I mean, that evolution, what kind of inner game was going on with you this whole time to allow you to be able to reinvent yourself like that? All of the, first of all, cliches are all cliches because they're completely true and we get mad when we figure it out. So like all the cliches of like being yourself and like taking it one day at a time, I wake up with the confidence of I killed it yesterday and I'm going to kill it today. And most of the time, honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. 
Hmm. So after I got suspended off the Olympic team, I realized I dropped out of college to pursue boxing. Uh, it was my first semester of community college, so it doesn't really count. But I didn't have any career outside of outside of boxing. I realized I needed a backup plan. Now, I had been speaking at uh, high schools and middle schools about boxing in different cities I go in to try to get more students involved into the sport the, the way I did. And uh, I was doing stand-up comedy at the time as well. After I became vegan, I started emceeing veg, vegan festivals around the country. I realized I had a calling for, for being on a stage because I wasn't nervous being, in, being on the stage. It's, it's crazy, though, but my boxing friends will like, like oh, man, you're so crazy. You're, you're speaking in front of all those people. I'm like, you're crazy. You're fighting in front of all those people. And then when you get done fighting, they put a microphone in your face and then you have to speak anyway. So like, it's the same career. I'm just less sweaty. So I decided to actually continue boxing full time, but always work on my speaking because I understand that I needed a plan for after sports and I needed a backup plan. What is your passion right now? Yeah, uh, my passion is, first of all, my, my number one passion is I'm passionate about being free. What do you I'm mean willing by that? to do free, free, uh, in the sense of when I've never had it other than Waffle House, I've never had a job, right? Uh, Ever. and well, I've always hustled. I've hustled my whole life. I worked at Waffle House for nine months when I was 18. And that that's the only time I've ever had. And so when you started job. boxing, you just started doing your own thing since then. Yep. That's and awesome. it hasn't been glamorous. Sure. Hasn't been, hasn't been conventional. I mean, back in the day, I was on Craigslist looking for like help people move for a day at a time. I was buying furniture, buying things or getting things from garage sales, selling them on Craigslist, make a profit. I was doing every hustle under the sun, legal or illegal. That's how dedicated I was. And I was willing to risk my freedom to have that freedom. I don't, was it I for don't freedom? That's the reason you hustled. You wanted no one to tell you what to do with your time. You wanted freedom to travel. Yes. Uh, and I realized if you do, you, you have to, everything in life is about compromise. So I realized I could have compromised uh, my time to be able to have security. So I could get a job which will offer benefits and health insurance. The reason why I've won more national championships than anyone in the history of the sport is the fact that I got free health insurance if I was the number one boxer. So that was like, literally, I, that was my health insurance plan for all of my 20s. I was like, well, I'll just get in shape and win. Because mentally, I, I was pretty sure I was going to win. I do everything that's necessary to win. So when I go to the fight, I'm, I never question myself. Where's if that I question myself, I wouldn't. From? Two things. And uh, you, you put a Napoleon Hill quote up yesterday, and I've been reading his book. And uh, Which one? Which book? Uh, Think and Grow Rich. And I... I just cracked it open. People have been speaking about it for years, but in there he talks about safety mm. and how people will move towards safety. And I realized to myself, I'm like, I, if I lost everything and I had to live, be homeless, I'll be all right. Why? Because it's happened to me multiple times already. So, and I have a van. So if I lose everything, my van's in my driveway, I'm just going to go live in my van and I will be just as happy as I am now. So I'm able to take these risks. Now, the idea of being free is like if you, if you go into a job, like let's say you're a teacher, and I work with a lot of educators. Teachers are some of the coolest people ever. They're not allowed to be. They're not allowed to be on social media. They're not allowed to be themselves. They're not allowed to share their opinions. They're not allowed to speak too freely. And then they have to govern their language and their behavior when they're in public because at the end of the day, they're still a teacher and they need that paycheck and they need that health insurance. So they're trapped. Now, if you spend and teachers at least 50 hours a week at their job, whether commuting and taking home work, how much time does that leave for you to work on yourself? So I decided I was going to sacrifice 
safety and use all this time to work on myself to be who I feel like I need to be. Really, it's been like 15 years and I'm still finding myself. Come on now. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm just picturing this 18 year old uh, boy who's, you know, you, the only thing you said is you described him as overweight and he worked at Waffle House. Was this him deep down or was this something that you learned and grew into? When I, I had moved in my senior year in high school, my parents moved to Florida. I moved down to Florida with them and I started a new high school. And in my mind, and I've seen TV shows, I was like, I can have an accent. I can do anything I want and no one knows. So when I walked into that school on the first day, I walked in had it like I was the shit. Like an alter and ego no, almost? Kind of shifted? Um, that I went from uh, Cameron. So my name used to be Lenroy Cameron Thompson Jr. So I would go by Cameron. So I went from Cameron to Cam when I got to Florida. And I was this whole new competent person. I started to grow my hair out. Like, and then what was crazy was I had this confidence and it was, it was, it was past the confidence. It was arrogance because I, I found it for the first time. Yeah. And then I went back to finish in high school in New York. So I spent six years in, in six months in Florida and I had to go back to New York. And I learned so much about myself because when I stepped foot back into my old school that I had been going to since kindergarten, all that confidence was gone because I became the person that they already knew again. And I didn't know how to stop it. So what I did was I left New York and I never went back. I eventually go back for gigs, but I realized I was a person there and I wanted to be a whole, I wanted to build a completely different personality, a different person. I wanted to rebuild myself before I went back to New York. Now I go back to New York, but even let's say that you're, you were the parody. If you were the, if you were the awkward kid, right. And then you, Did you know me, trust me. I was beat up. Do you have, oh yeah. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a little sister. Okay. Well, if you had an older one, like it would be no matter what, you would still be the little sister in that person's eyes. That little awkward. Even though you got, you grew up and you, you're sexy and you're grown and you've got this business, but no, no, you're still, you're still the little sister. So I felt like I was, I was trying to, I was being conditioned almost by the people I was around, not in a negative way. It's like what they expected of me, but it was, it's so hard to break out of your box. And it, it takes, takes guts to break out and be a, change who you are. And one of my favorite Jay-Z quotes is people will look at you strange and say you changed. Like you worked that goddamn hard to stay the same. Like I'm doing all this work to better myself. And then you're not allowing me to be who I am. So I just left that area and I became a whole different person. And I think that's important for a lot of people. You know, I know you went through a really dark time but you did ultimately break out of the the disappointment and the frustration because I can't imagine reinventing yourself in the work that it took to do what you did and what you accomplished and then to have it ripped away from you like that. I know you said you were, yeah. A little further on that because I didn't want, like, so after 2012, I returned in 2013, regained my number one spot in the country, became captain of the national team again, won nationals in 2013, 14, 15, then 2016, finally won the Olympic trials to represent. In that, was after that was after it that. disqualified. I know, but mentally to get your, because so most people would be like, screw it. Yeah. I'm done. Like this isn't my thing or whatever. But the mindset it takes to like go down and come back up and then do what you did. How did you do that? It was the fact that I don't have a safety net. And I'm, I much rather live without a safety net. Yep, because people get too comfortable. And if if I'm not comfortable, I have to find somewhere where to go next. And I have that hustle mentality to get there. But if I had a safety of a job where if things don't work out, I still have this part-time job or I can do... No, if I fail, 
I lose everything. And I much rather live like that. I went back into boxing, but I, I continued to do speaking, do speaking, educating myself, reading, doing stand-up comedy and emceeing vegan events and doing every charity event for free that I can do. And throughout the years, the last before pandemic, for every uh, speaking engagement I did at a school that was paid, I did one for free at a Title I school or a Boys and Girls Club just to be able to get for, to, I believe in karmic debt. So I like to pay out my karmic karma. Everyone's like, you do bad things, bad things will happen. And that's how they look at karma. But I think you do good things, good things will happen. So I'm just continuously putting good things out into the universe. And if something comes back, good. If not, worst case scenario, I was just a good person. Oh, and I, I shared, I, I continue boxing to make it to the Rio Olympics. But after uh, qualifying for the Rio Olympics, I lost an international competition and didn't get to go to Rio for the Olympics. And that's when I decided I was going to take a step away from boxing and pursue speaking heavily. And I did that. I bought a van. I was traveling around the country. I joined the National Speakers Association. I was probably the most active youth speaker in the country, speaking at over 200 schools a year because I'm in a van. It's unconventional. People said you can't make... Most speakers have full-time jobs. They told me that I would have to have a full-time job if I spoke at schools. And I'm like, no. And I don't want to speak at corporate because I don't want to speak at corporate. You can be blunt. Just tell me. Talk to me. How come? Old, Old people don't change. And by old people, I mean anyone over 20. Because what happens is to people, what happens is when people find success doing something in a different way. So the the worst thing that can happen is someone finding success doing something the wrong way. Because Hmm. from that point on, they will never change what they're doing because it's working. Sure. So what I realize is there's so many adults. There's so many adults. And I'm I'm doing these uh, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I do these talks on diversity on diversity, yeah. on Sunday nights, I do these talks. And these adults are literally gathering to do these free talks with me via Zoom to, for diversity training. Companies are paying billions of dollars to bring in diversity trainers. Mm-hmm. Why, Heather, why? Why do you think that? Why are they bringing in speakers? Why do you think the world needs diversity training? What? Um, because, well, <sighs> the world needs diversity training, first of all, because to be completely honest, I think from a political standpoint, they want to cover their butts <laughs> and have it, to be honest. Yes. I don't think a lot yeah. of it comes from a place of sincerity. Um, Check in a box. Yeah. Why do we really need it? Uh, sis- yeah. If you look at our system, I mean, we're just screwed. even deeper than that. Why do adults need it? Well, it's unconscious, you- unconscious bias. We grew up on a certain way culturally where we have become completely blind to what's really going on. And so we live in a narrative that we, that's been baked in our, our brains, yeah. <laughs> but training, I mean, anyway. And, and yeah, and it's been baked into our brains for years and years and years. As a baby. And now that instead of all of the, as a baby, it as happened a baby. as a baby. So now all of these adults are out here with no, no sense of cultural competence. No. And I realized instead of going out there and trying to speak at all these corporations to teach adults, how about I fix the problem a lot earlier and I speak to students about it? That makes sense. What can tell me this, where this is so morbid, (laughs) eventually us old people are just going to die off. And I get what you're saying. We're, you know, raising up this next, who's going to be the next leaders, right? Like a hundred percent, but also too, is there hope for us old folk, you know? Oh, yes, yes. There, there's, there's definitely, first of all, last year when George Floyd was murdered, so to, to continue the story of the Olympics, didn't go in 2016, decided to continue with uh, speaking heavily. Then I heard a Joe Rogan podcast where he was saying that most motivational speakers are full of shit. 
and they haven't done any, they aren't doing anything themselves. They're just talking about doing stuff. Pretty accurate because I'm talking about my, my, my failures, boxing and all this. And, and I, I felt called out by it. I felt like he was talking directly to me. It bothered me. So I decided uh, I was going to go for the 2020 Olympics because I'm healthy. Why not? The only reason why I wasn't doing it is because I was lazy. So while living in the van, I, I was showering at Planet Fitness anyway. So I had a Planet Fitness membership as I, I, I slept in parking lots of Planet Fitnesses in Walmart so I could shower. So I have a gym membership. I started getting back into the gym, started working out while on the road. So I'm speaking at schools, doing comedy, emceeing events, and training for the Olympics. Problem I had was the United States Olympic Committee, uh, and they won't allow me to continue my job as a speaker and travel. They want me at in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. So mm. I had to pull an audible. My, my dad's from Trinidad. I called Trinidad up. I said, hey, I am one of the most accomplished boxers in, in American history. Uh, I would like to fight for Trinidad and Tobago. And I fought for their Olympic team. And no I flew way. to Trinidad. I won their Olympic trials and came back and had a gig the next day to speak at a school. Like, and last year in March, I was in Dallas training for the 2020 Olympics mm -hmm. for Trinidad to, mm -hmm. to go to Tokyo. And I woke up on March 13th yeah. and heard the NBA was canceled. So I'm like, the NBA is canceled, so is boxing. So I just hopped on a flight and went back to my van. It was heartbreaking again, because you think about it, it's been 16 years. I'm 32. Half my life I've been training for the Olympics and I still haven't gotten there yet. Will you? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Hmm. Because, because you could look at that as a failure, but I've been to over 30 countries. I've built a career off of my experiences and learning about different cultures around the world. So I just boxed because I wanted to go to prom. Everything else is gravy after that. Okay. I didn't get a prom date. Everything else after that yeah. is has just been icing on the cake. And I'm not going to be ungrateful or negative about it. Yeah, I didn't get to go to the Olympics. Mm. Actually, so did a lot of people. Uh, fun fact, you may not know this. Did you know that most people don't go to the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, I haven't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but sure. So I, I try to look at everything in a positive way. And again, uh, and that, that, that whole concept of thinking is why I changed my last name to awesome. Because... Mm. I, I, and I post these socks every day. I don't even have a pair around me, but it's called Notes from Self. A lady made these socks that says, I am awesome on the top. And people always send me pictures of these socks. I actually ran into this lady. She lives like 15 miles away from me. I've been hearing about her socks all over the country. And her, her concept is you're more receptive to positive affirmations in the morning. So why not remind yourself that you're awesome? I love that. And I was like, thanks. Thanks for the socks. But I've changed my last name to awesome. That's how often I'm, I would like to remind myself. And people will look at it as a cocky way, but to me, it's fun. And like 12-year-old me would have changed my last name to awesome. So I'm living my inner child's dream. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in, in a positive way. So I know that there's a lot of un untapped potential in me and I'm writing, I'm doing morning pages right now. And I know that there's a lot that I have just haven't tapped into yet. And I envy and am so curious about your just like resolve of like, F it, I'm changing my name. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like go pull the safety net and all of that. I mean, how do I get to that point? I guess what, what's your recommendations for like, dude, you know, I don't like the way my body looks. I don't like the money you're making in my account. I don't like the kind of impact that I'm making. How do we start shifting that? I will say I can own, I will only give advice to, because my advice isn't the greatest advice. I will take my own advice, but in the situation of, so I grew up without a lot, so I've never had a safety net. So mm -hmm. if 
if shit hit the fan, I don't have family who I can fall back on or something like that. So to me, this was everything. So the way I live my life is no safety net. Now, I think everyone should, if, if you actually believe in your dream, I think I say chase your dreams as long as you're willing to deal with the consequences of not achieving them. Like I have no dependence. If I end up on a couch because I made some bad decisions and I end up sleeping on a friend's couch, I'm on that friend's couch myself. I don't have kids. My dog is okay with sleeping on the couch with me. So when I say like no safety net, I don't mean it in a metaphorical way. Like there's, I, I'm riding wild. Yeah. And I mean, if you put yourself in the situation, you're, you're, if you dig yourself in a hole and you have to get out to live, you'll find a way out. I don't think we ever, I, we don't do that often enough. I think we're safer sometimes than we even realize that we are too, because what is real danger, you know? Yeah. I think that the scariest thing in the world is doing a job that I hate and showing up every day to that job and talking to people that I don't necessarily want to speak to. And I have to respect authority. Nah, I'm cool. <laughs> Authority. Cool. I want to. I want to make sure we give some space and time. I don't have any teenagers. I don't think listening to this show because I'm not that cool for that. But <laughs> we do have a lot of people listening who might feel drawn to um, help our youth and change culture and actually make a bigger impact. And I really respect. And that's what kind of sold me on when I was looking at your work. What wanting to talk to you that you're just selflessly. selflessly you know, giving of yourself to, to these kids in schools. And I know it probably looked a lot different in 2020, but I just wanted to hear a little bit about your work there. I know we briefly touched on it, but why kids, why talk to them about diversity? I was over, the reason why I was getting, got into boxing is because I was overweight and I was getting bullied and I didn't have confidence. So I originally started to speak at schools to tell kids about, like, if you're getting bullied, I got bullied a lot. Once I learned how to fight, I no longer had to. Once I became that confident person that can handle myself, I've never had an altercation in my adult life. I believe the confidence is the reason. So I wanted to speak to school at schools to students about bullying. And I realized uh, then I the, there was a calling to speak on appropriate social media use and being a part of who I am. I share my story. And so I also speak about resilience. So I speak on bullying, social media use, resilience, and uh, ambitious career goal settings because that's who I am. After George Floyd was murdered, I was I wasn't training for the Olympics anymore. I had a lot of time, and people were taking to the streets to march. And I wanted to go as well, but I didn't. I didn't specific. I wasn't educated on why. I knew what we wanted. We wanted change. I knew when we wanted it. We wanted it now, but I wanted to have a deeper understanding of what that meant. And I began to educate myself, and I realized that uh, that there's a need to learn all the things that I've been learning. So I started to speak at schools. I have a lot of, a lot of relationships with schools. So I'd reach out to schools and speak to educators about how to uh, do professional development, teaching educators how to better connect with their students because 80% of students, uh, of educators in America are white females and the college system doesn't adequately, adequately prepare them to teach in urban environments. That's no fault of their own. And that's why I'm here. And then I realized all these adults, not just white, all adults are so uncomfortable around the conversation about race. And I realized it's because no one speaks to them about it when they're kids. We just act like kids don't know. So one thing I do with students is, uh, so I, I want the setup with my screen, I do everything with, with kind of, with, I don't share the screen. Uh, one of the things I do is we talk stereotypes. I, what is a stereotype? It's a gross generalization. So uh, Patty, can you give me a stereotype of you hear about people from New York? From What's New one York, stereotype? that they're very brash and to the point, and they're not polite, and they're just going to run over you and not say excuse me or thank you, and they're just yeah. heading to their job. Yeah, okay. What about Texas? 
Texas, y'all. Man, Texas, we have, um, you know, we're going to eat steak and eggs and it's good old boys. And we got belt buckles and cows and everything's better and bigger in Texas. Okay. What I'm going to do now is show you the 50 stereotypes of each state. So New York, you put rude Texas cowboys. You are pretty accurate. Yep. And I do that with students and I have them communicate through the chat box because that's the language they speak. It's like an Instagram live. Uh, so I do everything virtually. So I ask questions like that. I have them interact with the chat box and then I'll unmute a student and say, well, I'm from New York. Have I been rude to you? Well, no. So then we try, I try to dig to where are these stereotypes coming from? Right? And what we do as people is when we meet someone and we find out one thing about them, we want to put them in a box. So we don't like when people put us in boxes. So what I do next is an activity with students I call I am, but I'm not. Uh, I have each student type in the chat box. I am, but I'm not. Share something you are, but an expectation you do not meet. So one I use is I, I'm tall, but I'm not good at basketball. And then in the chat box, and I, of course, this is the one I set it up with purposely. The chat box immediately, because these kids aren't dumb. And these are middle school and high school kids. First thing, it's like, I'm Asian, but I'm not good at math. I'm black, but I'm not ghetto. I'm white, but I'm not ignorant. I'm white, but I'm not racist. I'm a girl, but uh, I'm not girly. I'm gay, but I'm not flamboyant. These kids want to express themselves and they've never been given the opportunity to. So what I do is I just say I'm a lifeguard and I'm allowing students to swim in the conversation of culture. This is a communication gift. Is this something you came up with or did you have some training in this kind of presentation? Because that's pretty powerful stuff there. I didn't know how to write a speech, but I had been doing comedy for years and I would do, I just, I just changed all my jokes to clean jokes. I gave all my jokes a meaning and a message. And I just did these 45 minute comedy specials at schools. And I, it, I realized they don't care about the scripted stuff. So I just do crowd work. So I have a topic. I ask kids questions from, from the audience and that's how it, I developed the style of speaking. And then when things went virtually, like I didn't want to do it virtually, but I did it virtually. I realized there's an equity in voice. If, if there's a loud, obnoxious kid in the classroom who I was, and you were the quiet kid, I would always speak over you and you would never get a chance to talk. But now we have the chat box. Kids who normally don't speak, they don't shut up because now they now get a chance to talk through the chat box because they'll they'll type it in, but they don't want to speak, right? So it's it's been great. And another thing I do is I have all students uh, change your name, all capital letters to love. Change their names to love? On, uh, if you, you see on uh, at the bottom here, I changed my name from KMF Awesome to Love because when, when we talk in the chat box and everyone's name is love, it's an anonymous conversation. We can actually share how we feel. So uh, when I ask, I am, but I'm not, some kids might say, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm not flamboyant. Well, maybe no one knows that they're gay and they don't want to come out the closet to everyone. So in the chat box, it's an anonymous conversation. Everyone's speaking, interacting, and they can they can share how they actually feel. And then you could find out, students are finding out, oh, there are gay students in my school. Because growing up, I used to say, oh, that's gay. Because I didn't, I didn't even know what gay, I didn't understand the concept and what I was saying was so hurtful. Now, if I would have known, like known better, I would have done better. But no one spoke to me about it. I said so many messed up things in my life. And that's why I'm, I'm so against cancel culture. I'm all about accountability culture and counsel culture. I've, I've, I realize most ignorant people are just ignorant. <laughs> They're not mean. There's my tweet for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most, yeah. They're, they're not, they're not, if you told them better. So one day I was doing a talk and, and I read this in a Brene Brown book too. And it made me feel so good. My home is a Brene Brown home. Brene Brown and Jay Shetty is all that gets talked about in this house. Uh, but used 
I used the word gypped in, in a speech. And at the end of it, a teacher came up to me and was like, do you know how to spell that? And I was like, J-I-P? He's like, no, actually it's G-Y-P. It's short for gypsy. It's a derogatory term that kind of just says that gypsies are uh, thieves and, and are bad people. And then he just walked away. That was it. He didn't yell at me about what I said. He just simply informed me. And to that day, I would never say it again. Like only in like an educational standpoint of where I'm sharing the story, but I don't say that word anymore because I didn't realize it was hurtful. Now I talk about intent versus impact and like no one talks about this with students. We just yell at them for bullying and they don't even understand the concept of it because they don't realize what they're doing is hurtful. Do you think at our core people are good? Uh, what's your definition of good? Because I would you're say- you're talking about intent. Like, do you think for the most part, people's intent is good? It is ignorance? Or do you think that there is some evil there? That's kind of a heavy question, but- Okay. No, no. I, and I, as a vegan who composts gardens and drives a Prius, I am that hippie person too. So when you say intent, in your intentions- what you believe? Yes, there are. There were very, very religious, God-fearing, great Christian slave owners who beat their beat and raped their slaves. Yeah, were they good people? Yeah, their intention was good. Yeah, but but no one cares about your intentions. So here's an example I do with students. Mm. So uh, Heather, let's say that you're on a walk, right? Okay. Oh, you're on a walk, and it's a beautiful day. Okay. Right? Imagine it. Okay. Boom, I hit you with my car. Story takes a turn for the worse, but stick with me, you know? I'm like, oh my God, Parody, you're under my car? Oh, geez, actually, I was actually going to volunteer at, at uh, Animal Shelter because I do a lot of good, uh, volunteer work. Parody, I'm such a good person. I should tell you about it, but not right now. But I was actually going to volunteer and I didn't know where I was going because I volunteered in so many different places that I had to put in my GPS. And when I, I don't usually text my drive, but when I have my phone in my hand, I saw my mom texting me now. I don't text my drive, but you always got to text mom Dukes back, right? Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, Heather, you're bleeding under my car, okay. right? Are you more interested in the intent of my actions right. or the impact of my actions? Right. Wow. But that doesn't matter because I'm a good person. Did I tell you that I volunteer? Right, right, right. So let me tell you more about what a good person I am. And I realized, you have realized no one cares about your intent. Yeah. No one cares about your intent. People only care about the impact they have. And too often we think of impact as being purely physical. Mm -hmm. And then we go into microaggressions and I talk to them about microaggressions and what a microaggression is. And I've had students send me and my, my Instagram DMs is just filled with students thanking me for coming up with the term microaggression. Mm -hmm. I didn't invent it. Right. They've just never heard the word before. And they think I'm introducing it as something I'm teaching. And a lot of the Asian students are like, oh, these people, uh, students are expecting certain, they expect me to be good at math. They expect this of me. They expect me to be subservient. They expect me to be quiet. Like, and they don't know how to express themselves because they've never been given the tools. Now, right. another example of that is the, the I am's, but I am not. An example I give is uh, every February in school, they sat me down and they told me the blood of Martin Luther King runs through my veins. They told me I march with Malcolm and I sit with Rosa and I'm this strong African-American boy. But my mom was born in England and my dad was born in Trinidad. I'm black, but I'm not African-American. But the school systems, they don't, they're so distant from culture and race and they're so afraid to talk about it. They just lump all the black kids in, all the dark kids in and just say, you're all African-American. Here, talk about the civil rights movement for, for a month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know what? The Asian students don't even get that. Yeah, yeah. So Intent versus impact. And that's what I like to talk about with the students, because if we never tell them that these words are or these phrases are bad, I, there's a book, 35 Dumb Things Well-Intended People Say. Oh, that's uh, yeah. surprising, surprising things we say that widen the diversity gap. And in that book is 
I literally just go through examples with students. As I say, it's an open conversation. So as a comedian, I like to think I'm a funny person, but my jokes don't always work. Sometimes I, I offend people. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this book is 35 phrases that we say that we don't realize is hurtful. And the first one is when I offend someone, I usually say, uh, it's only a joke. Don't take things so seriously. Yeah, That's the number three thing in this book. Now, it's, this one's twofold. The intent is saying, I meant to make you laugh, not make you cry. But again, no one cares about your intent. The impact is... Not only did I disrespect you, Parody, but when you shared your feelings with me, I invalidated them. Yeah. So that's why this phrase is bad. Uh, calling women, girls, honey, sweetie, or familiar names. I used to call everyone boo and bro because I was terrible with names. And if I called every guy bro and every girl boo, I'd never have to know a name. And then one day this, this woman said, boo, excuse me, sir, I don't know you. And I was like, oh, yeah, you don't. And I never thought about it like that. But again, if we don't talk to students about this, some of my best friends are. People need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. What are you? Where are you really from? I'm most guilty of this one. I love culture. Party, if you're from a different place, I see you from, from somewhere else. I want to know everything about you. I want to know your family structure. I want to know what you do on your birthdays. I want to know what you do on midnight when the clock strikes 12 on New Year's. Tell me about your culture. Tell me what you do. But this idea is the pile on principle. What are you or where are you really from? So the idea is, my intent is, I love, your, I love to learn about cultures, but the impact is, imagine you live somewhere where you pay taxes, you were born, and every day someone comes up to you and says, you don't look like you belong here and you owe right. me an explanation on what you're doing here. Right, right. These are just things I talk to students about, and it's not crazy race-baiting conversations. These are just open conversations. Just, that- yeah. I guess the, the what I'm seeing with you, and correct me if I'm wrong, tell me, tell me, but it seems as though you have found a way to deeply be rooted in you and be secure because you talk a lot about safety, you know, like rip the safety nets away, but you also have a very safe energy about you where, you know, these kids are coming to you and they feel safe to talk to you. You're creating that environment intentionally, but with safety, you know, becoming safe, you have to, you know, really ground yourself in something else. Because you're realizing I am safe and it's okay to explore this, talk about it, change, change my body, go to Rio, do all these different things. Like I, it seems as though that you have just found some security somewhere deep, deep within. And I really admire that. And I think there's a lot of people who want to find that sense of safety within too. Um, where did you find that? Uh a lot of Brene Brown books uh, talking about, sh- I didn't realize how much my life was rooted in shame. Uh, and I realized I was really motivated by by proving other people wrong. And I was motivated by other things. And I realized once I became honest with myself and I was able to become vulnerable, I became a better person all around. My my I became happier. My Even my presentations became better because I used to talk about all the things I've won. And I realized no one cares about the thing you won. Like most... Mo- all people, most of the times, are losers, including myself. So when I, when I say loser, I don't mean that you're you're a loser, loser. I mean you're losing. So you might fail, 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 succeed. So that's five Word. failures to one su- success. Word. But you you have to be, that means you're just you're failing like eighty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So what I do in my talks is I talk about my failure. I talk about not making the two thousand eight Olympics. I talk about not making the two thousand twelve Olympics. I talk about making the two thousand sixteen Olympics. I talk about not making the twenty twenty Olympics. I talk about all the gigs I failed. I talk about uh, the opportunities I've lost. I had a five year scholarship to Hofstra University in New York, and I lost that as well. Mm-hmm. I've lost a lot of things, and I think people relate when they see a loser and a loser a loser in in a winner because we're all losers we've all failed at things and no one wants to talk that and i just said screw it i embrace i embrace the failures and it has made me free to try whatever i want like the the concept of uh 
of my business now is I'm going into schools and speaking about something that no one else speaks about. And I can tell you, I am probably the greatest youth diversity consultant you've ever met because there's only one of me. It's only one of you. It's a little unconventional, right? I like unconventional. Cam, where can people connect with you online? Craigslist misconnections. No, I'm joking. Uh, I heard about that. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, for... For about seven years, I checked that website in Kansas City every day, even when I was in a different country. It's comedy. But uh, at CamFAwesome on all social media platforms uh, and CamFAwesome.com. Is there anything else that you want to say to a group of wildly ambitious, creative, unconventional, going against the grain leaders that I did not ask you? I will say yes. Uh, And here's my pitch, if I may. Go ahead. Uh, when I go into these schools to speak, uh, I, I did share, I don't know if it was on air or not, but I've done one free talk for every paid one I did because the school I went to in New York would not be able to afford me at uh, at my current fee. So, and no one spoke at my school and that's probably the reason why. So the students that need me the most can't afford me. So what I did was I found companies to sponsor my talks. Mm. So I go into these schools for free and uh Companies are able to promote their promo codes, uh, put their links. I can watermark your your logo on my screen the entire time. And you can share these deals with uh, all the students in the district. Like Kansas City, Kansas School District has about 25,000 students and about 6,500 educators. So those are a lot of people you can advertise to. That's and awesome. it's for a good cause. Couple of big takeaways from today. I love how he talked about intent versus impact. I've been thinking about that ever since he said it. Super grateful for that comment. And also, too, I love the quote, chase your dreams as long as you're willing to live with the consequences of not achieving them. And it's not about achieving them necessarily. Like he said, it doesn't matter if he makes it to the Olympics or not. Do you know in your bones you're being true to who you are and loving what you do aligned with your greater calling? Big thank you to Cam again. Connect with him at camfawesome.com. That is linked in the show notes. Cheering you on today, my friend. We love you. We're in your corner. See you soon. Hey, y'all, before we jet out of here, if you are looking to build a course or a membership site, build in some online income so you can fund your creative work, you know, bring in a little extra money monies. One of my favorite platforms, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's my favorite platform, is Kajabi. Almost everybody I work with, I somehow convinced to get onto Kajabi. I personally use it. It's an all-in-one platform for not only your email list, but also hosting your courses, your membership sites, and pretty much whatever you want to do. You can do it on Kajabi. To start your free trial, all you have to do is go to heatherparity.com forward slash Kajabi. That is linked in the show notes. And start your trial for 14 days. I mean, technically, you could build a product, sell the product within two weeks, and it pays for itself. No sweat. Again, that is heatherparity.com forward slash Kajabi.